We are live. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. Uh, it's been like a minute since we actually did this podcast. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, been working on some stuff, but this is a recovery podcast, so feel compelled to bring back some more guests. And today I brought a very special guest of mine. Uh, this is a recovery podcast where we talk about all things recovery um, or lack thereof, depending on how you roll. Uh, today my special guest is JFK. Hi, JFK. Hey. Hey, Patch. <laughs> Welcome to the corner. Hey, everyone. So um, he's a he's a friend of mine. Uh, we run in various circles. Um, I have found him to be quite an interesting human being. I think we've known each other now maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two years. But um, I just I'm I'm kind of intrigued by who he is as a human being. He's a deep spirit. Uh, I today's uh, topic is marijuana and mysticism. <laughs> First, we want to learn about you, um, where you're from, where you were born, where you were raised. We'll get into some things, and then we'll talk about uh, the recovery aspect. Uh, so so who are you, JFK? Who am I? Yeah. Well, uh, so just to start off, uh, hello, everyone uh, out there listening. Thank you very much, Pedge, for having me on uh, the show. I'm really happy to speak on the topic. Uh who am I? I am uh, almost 50 years old. Um, I'm from Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. I got sober in Los Angeles uh, at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my schooling in LA. I went to college in LA. You got sober that young? Yeah, I got sober at 22. Okay. Yeah. All right. Why? Why? Why so young? Um, I suppose, um, like all of us, uh, you get sober when it's your time. And for me, uh, I got sober when it stopped working, you know, okay. uh, when it just wasn't fun anymore. So growing up in L.A., I mean, you're from the west side, correct? Mm-hmm. And growing up during what? Well, I mean, we're about the same. We are the same age. Um, yeah. Growing up during those times, like, what was it like? Did, was there, like, an inadequacy? Did you feel uncomfortable in your skin did you not fit in with your friends or were you trying to fit in with your friends that you started experimenting with things yeah great question you know a lot of alcoholics and addicts talk about feeling like they don't fit you know and i suppose it's the experience of many people that they try hard to fit they try hard for acceptance um i don't know if i was you know, resigned to not ever fitting in. I never was really that interested in fitting in, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I saw it as a bit of something oppressive, you know, needing to get other people's approval. Right. So I always try to carve my own path. I don't know if that's specific personality trait to myself. That's uncommon, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I would, what I would say would be an originalist or a nonconformist. I don't, I don't go against the flow. I'm just not that interested in the flow. I more follow my heart, what I think is right and wrong, what I think is cool and not. Mm-hmm. Um, I have noticed looking back, a lot of the things I did were things that I saw in the world that I thought that looks cool. Let me do that. But I never just did stuff because everyone else did and stuff that other people were doing that didn't appeal to me. I just wasn't that interested in. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, as far as substances, what's the youngest that you can remember you were when you started using 
any substance and why did you? Well, I mean, so that's a great question. I, I consciously got drunk at the age of 13. Um, why did I? Um, curiosity, you know? Were you around friends? Were you around family? Was there alcohol? Yeah, there was a kid's party where there was adults. It was a catered party, so there was a bar. Adults were drinking. Um, for me, being someone curious, I wanted to see what that was like. So, I mean, even as a child, though, I mean, you look back into what you could say is drug-seeking tendencies, but it's really being ex experimental and maybe even the sign of a curious person, which is not a bad thing. I mean, mm -hmm. my father... Um, would drink coffee every morning. And as a three-year-old, I climbed up on the table and pulled the coffee and burnt myself. I had a scar for a good 30-something years. One day I was showing people a burn on my leg and it just wasn't there anymore. I'd, I, I, I've been marked from, from the drug, from caffeine, mm -hmm. since a small child, wanting to know why does this man get up and slow and woozy, then he does this thing he goes to, and then suddenly there's a little bit of a shift and he starts his day. Right. So I wanted to see that. That was at the age of three. At the age of four, I drank a bottle of my mom's perfume. I was drunk for three days. At the age of four? Yeah. That young? Well, you know, I didn't know what was in it, but I was curious, you know. I've always... Drunk for three days? Well, you were four. I don't remember, but I mean, I think when you drink methyl alcohol, yes. it's got one of those effect things on you. Right. Maybe I'm still drunk from it. I smell <laughs> good. But, you know, uh, you know, and then I remember they, uh, I, you know, my family, um, uh, like religious occasions, mm -hmm. uh, wine around, right. and the older cousins giving me wine under the table. Mm -hmm to watch me get drunk and lose control, you know? So I remember those kinds of heightened experiences. I don't remember much about them, but at 13, I consciously went to go get drunk because I wanted to see what it would feel like. Okay. Any? Did you have any siblings that were older or younger? Anybody that you looked up to? I, I have a younger sibling. Uh -huh. And I don't know, did I ever look up to anyone in my life? My karate instructor, sure. rock and roll stars. Most people did not impress me very much. I was never happy with my surroundings or my environment. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't really like your upbringing? No. I always felt like something was missing, mm -hmm. that things needed improvement. Okay. And that is, that is a spiritual uh, thing that I was experiencing that we'll get to. Okay. So then when you were seeking to get drunk at 13, did you succeed? Oh, yeah. You got smashed? Oh, yeah. I'm really good at that. Okay. I was a protege. Right. Yeah. First time I picked up, I I was very successful in getting very drunk. And did you black out? Um, I did not black out. But what happened was I had a twist in my consciousness where it was something like a dream. Mm -hmm. It was a very amazing, powerful, interesting experience. There was a lot of energy in that experience. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you kept seeking that. Did you like it? Did you like the the first drunk? I mean, I real did, drunk. But I I didn't I didn't love it so much that I was like, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm going to be a drinker. Right. But it was great, and it was something that I decided. You like the sensation. You like the feeling that the sense of ease and comfort. You wanted to keep doing that. You know what? I liked having my consciousness shifted. Right. I liked that. I was curious that I was experiencing life differently. Something that's strange had happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, 
today I really have a personal understanding of that as uh, as there was spiritual power in the bottles. I think it's no mistake alcohol is called spirits. Wine and spirits. 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 Yep. Because it know? lifts your spirits? Well, I actually think um, – so I, the material world made out of matter, mm-hmm. the spiritual world – if there is such a thing, because we don't know, we don't observe it directly. Right. So it's a theory, it's an idea. But, you know, you could arguably say the material world doesn't exist either. It's just some trick of perception. Like an illusion? It could be a matrix, a simulation, an illusion. Mm-hmm. Who, but this could be a dream. Who really knows? Right. But assuming the material world is real mm-hmm. and assuming the spiritual world is real, right? then the, really what, what to me makes up the spiritual realm is that which is not material. Mm-hmm. And the part of me and the part of you that's not material is your consciousness. Consciousness. It's the way you experience your reality. Mm-hmm. That's not a material thing. No. No, it's like dreaming. It's like it's spiritual. It is well, dreaming. Well, it's something that's not physical. People can argue it's mm-hmm. a process of the brain, okay. self-awareness, being sentient. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You can look at it at many lenses. Right. My experience of life, my the way I consciously experience things, my consciousness, when I put that alcohol in this body, there was a shift there that was very interesting to me. And I really believe whatever I was experiencing spiritually, that was an additional spiritual force okay. that changed my consciousness. So do you think it was a bad thing that you wanted to seek that type of feeling? I don't know. Why, I mean, why do... People go into outer space. Why do people go into, you know, research biology and look at electron micro? They want to experience. We want to know. We want to discover things. We're curious. We're curious. Some people you could say turn to substances to blot out pain. Mm -hmm. Some people are are curious. What's it going to do to me? I think almost everyone tries it out of curiosity. What's it going to do to me? Out of curiosity. So did drinking continue or did you get into marijuana? What, what? Drinking continued. Okay. And then? 15, 16, binge mm-hmm. drinking on weekends. Friday, Saturday night. Okay. Binge drinking. Experimental So drinking. just the weekends? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, 15 years old. I mean, yeah. Drink in my parents' house. I don't have a car. And I wasn't really in that kind of state where I needed to be drunk every day. Right. Um. I could have, I don't know how I got through that period without being drunk. I was extremely stressed. I think I've always been extremely stressed. Okay. Yeah. So do you think this, the stress was, what, what, where did the stress come from? Was it within the house? Was it high it's expectations? It's a great question. High expectations? The home was very stressed. Um, the engagement there was very stressful. Mm-hmm. My parents... Um, I don't think that's why I'm an alcoholic though. Right. I think even if I had no stress, I still would have been curious mm-hmm. and I still would have enjoyed it. And I still would have done it maybe for different peripheral reasons, Right. but I was stressed in that week and I could really have used some relief. Mm-hmm. So you could say it was partially relief, but it was also, there was something in that bottle that was supreme interest for me. Mm-hmm. So are you at 15, 16, it was binge drinking on the weekends because it was readily available. You didn't have a car. It was within the house. 
um, did it transition into other things? Uh, so, I mean, you know, just to put it in context, other friends had cars. We'd go to people's houses. Sure. Other people's parents were more permissive. They'd go away. They'd leave the kids alone with money and keys. Uh, my family was very strict. I really enjoyed that freedom, that autonomy. And, you know, um, maybe you could say alcohol is a metaphor for freedom for a lot of people. It's some kind of escape or freedom. So um, it wasn't just like, let's go get plastered. It was like, adventure experience what's going to happen this time if i drink this alcohol what would it feel like if i'm engaged with these people what would it be like if we do this what's it like and i used to think a lot and reflect on things a lot right that's my personal experience and so um i also tried marijuana at 13 i didn't really experience much that might have been uh, a factor that it wasn't that strong mm -hmm. i didn't my brain didn't understand it Alcohol was sort of instant effect. Mm -hmm. Alcohol was, uh, marijuana was a little confusing. Right. But maybe at 17, just a little bit of smoking here and there, mm -hmm. maybe some better quality stuff and starting to have hard experiences. Different experiences. A little different yeah. from being drunk. Obviously experiences that you started to like because you were doing it more regularly. Well, I remember um, being in a house at uh, Malibu and sitting on the back portion. I just overlooking the ocean and I lay down and I dip my head back to the ocean. I was upside down and I just sat there for three hours just watching this water come from the sky because I was upside down and just, I don't know, reflecting on what is this? What is this world? Yeah. It's very strange. Also philosophical and strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. And so like growing up, besides experimenting with things, were you educated? Were, was it a requirement within your house to, uh, perform well in school or even in religious a, activities, if you will? A lot of pressure right. around school. Mm -hmm. It wasn't clear what for. There wasn't direct uh, assistance. It was very much bottom line results oriented. You do well, you don't do bad with a lot of discipline, you know, mm -hmm. emotional abuse, physical abuse. Um, you know, kind of like you're good if the school's happy with you. If the school's unhappy with mm -hmm. you, we're very unhappy with so you. So how'd you perform? Um, above average. Above average. On occasion, tank out because I, I didn't feel like it. Okay. Above average. But over time, started studying more and more. I went to a very good high school. I was very well educated. And I wound up going to university at 18. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So if you... So throughout your adolescence and you know all the way up until 18 mm -hmm. um with all that was going on even though you were experimenting you were still performing well in school so did your parents know about you using marijuana did, were they okay with this or did they not know and it was just unspoken and you didn't need to let them know I think we hit a point where on the weekends I'd go off and I'd come home and I don't think they knew anything that was happening and I wouldn't want them to. You were hiding it well. It wasn't even hiding. I just wanted nothing to do with them. I grew up in a home where it was kind of like, this is not safe. Mm -hmm. I stay in this house, but it's not my home. I was told it was my home, mm -hmm. but I never felt comfortable there and I just wanted to get away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. So you went to university. Yes. Did this take off into different directions as far I mean, educationally, obviously, I know you are educated. 
I mean, it's very evident whenever I talk to you. You know, like I, I know you're well-read, well-versed, uh, and probably performed quite well in school. I, I wouldn't doubt it for a second of my life just by knowing who you are. But were, when you went away to university, did partying continue? Or, I mean, obviously you got sober at 22, so something must have happened between 18 and 22. Increased. Increase, increase, and yeah. was were you like pretty much in the college scene and the, and the university scene where people were? So where I went to school, there was a lot of uh, fraternities and sororities, sure. and I wasn't that interested in being part, part of, of that, that aspect. But I was happy to go drink at their parties. Right. Um, for me, the the parties were the highlight of school. I didn't know why I was in school, what I was supposed to do. I had some magical thinking that you come here and you finish. And you figure it out. Everyone says, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that really drawn to, you know, the conventional world. I kind of followed my heart and my instinct. My instinct said there's something magical in that bottle. I drank um, a little bit more frequently at college. And I started to feel like poisoned. I don't know if that was my liver or... Who knows what? I just started to feel really sick the next day. Right. To the point, and I'm very sensitive, that my body said, like, ah. Was it hard liquor? Yeah, I drink hard liquor. I drink beer. Whatever mm -hmm. it took. You know? And marijuana? So right at that point, um, I was telling someone, you know what? Like, I just do not feel good mm -hmm. the next day. And someone said, well, why don't you, you know, smoke some dube yeah. in the morning? Okay, let's try this. So you weren't already doing that? No, I don't. I, you know, like maybe a little bit here and there. Because I remember when I was in high school, we yeah. were smoking morning, noon, and night. No, only when my friends kind of had it, and this is what we're going to do. Okay. So, like, we, you know, we'd gone out and got in stone and had some adventures. I wasn't rushing to weed. I wasn't, like, trying to get obsessed with it. I started smoking in the mornings. Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing if this thing is good for hangovers, it's good for everything. Sure. And actually, it became, feels a lot better than booze. So it became a way of life. Oh, at that point, I crossed the line where, as, as they say, uh, you know, in, 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 in the A literature, I go mm -hmm. to Alcoholics Anonymous, it ceased to be a luxury, became a necessity. Mm -hmm. I decided I don't want to be sober at all. I just want to smoke and get high all the time, start to get obsessed with marijuana very excited same thing i have with alcohol mm -hmm. i'm realizing the different varieties have a different effect and i've gone with different adventures it was like being in a storybook every day and night was a different chapter different flavor so during that time did you finish university successfully um no i did not um i was actually shocked i went to a very very um intense high school that was very difficult and when i went to college i'm like this seems relatively easy to what i've just went through mm -hmm. it wasn't easy but i think overall it wasn't super challenging what they're giving but i went to a very competitive university where everyone's fighting for AIDS, and so um i just started to pull like a d and a c minus i never gotten grades that low in my life mm -hmm. i wasn't putting in effort they were putting in extreme effort right so i wasn't getting it i don't get what's going on um um i had a job i worked in a restaurant at nights i was exercising 
really intense exercise. I mean, I remember, I think I had 4% body fat at some point. I put me in a dunk tank. I mean, I, I look like, I don't know, elite athlete at that mm-hmm. point. I was running for four hours. Right. Marijuana would make me very intense and active. I was been very active. Uh, you know, I'd been an athlete in high school. So it was like, now I'm very excited, exercise, marijuana, mm-hmm. go to work, go to school, meet people. Everything seemed fine. Um, but a friend of mine had uh, taken LSD. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked about it, and then I wanted to experience that as well. Okay. Um, so How old were you during that time? So I was 18, and uh, I had a friend bring down a bag of uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Sure. And uh, I shroomed, and we went to the zoo, and uh, I went psychotic from that. One time? Yes. Trying it one time? Yes. The mushrooms? Yes. Okay, not the LSD. Your friend no. obviously was. Had you tried LSD? No. You didn't need to. You went psychotic from trying mushrooms one time. It's not a need to. There's some people very sensitive. A very. I've seen it. I've seen it happen off of one try. Sure. To hallucinate. Sure. Well, it opens up something in you, mm-hmm. and depending on what's on your inside, get magnified. Sure. And distorted. So what happened as far as do you remember the psychotic episode? Did I remember you, everything. Tell me. Um, we went to the zoo, you know, like, so what people had said was like, you should have a babysitter. You should have someone who's sober and level headed to make sure that, you know, everyone else is okay and take you out on an adventure. So mm-hmm. we went to the zoo, the LA zoo. I always thought, you know, I like animals, exciting nature. Um, I remember walking around, uh, there was a exhibit with a tiger that was lower than everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you'd look down on the enclosure and I, I remember just thinking like, like, like I kept asking myself, like, what are we, you know, I was looking for the answer, right? What are we? What is this? What That's what we? happens when you take those types of stuff. No, that was what I was like all the time. Oh, you were always curious. I'm now, always curious. now you're on, on that. And now I'm not that. and exploring. What and, are we? What's the answer? More. Yes. Okay. What's the answers? Like okay. always I delved into these things. To, to know more, mm-hmm. to understand more, because I didn't have an understanding of what mm-hmm. I'm doing here, which is going to lead into our topic. Sure. But I mean, um, what I concluded was, was that like there's a wind, and it sweeps up a bunch of chemicals, that just the way they come together forms a being, it grows, the chemicals swirl around, and then it goes back into the earth. It's just this weird wind that. Blows things up into life and then back down into dead organic and inorganic matter and just sweeps it up and this and that. It's like the miracle of life. Mm. And uh, at that moment, I looked down, I saw that tiger. I thought the wind has come together and pulled a bunch of chemicals together into the the being that is that tiger. Mm-hmm. And the wind has come together and formed and made me into the being that is me. But I said... The way that that thing is shaped, for it to survive, it can it, it consumes meat. And I realize I the way the wind has constructed me, I am made out of meat. So if I was face to face with that tiger, it would consume me. It would eat you. And I got very frightened. I saw my death at that point. I said, you know what? Like life is so fragile. I could go at any moment. And the only reason 
that I can sit here and look at that tiger now is because human beings, we've used our brains mm -hmm. to secure that tiger from ourselves, but in such a way that we can look at it. Right. I mean, they do escape actually and eat people mm -hmm. at the zoo. Yes, sometimes. So, you know, my instinct was right, but I could say what's actually protecting me is a human construct. A human construct, just like everything that we live in right now is a human construct. Mm -hmm. And if things had to change, maybe people would eat each other. And I remember walking around, there's a lot of Hispanic families there, you know, so you got like a young husband and a wife and they're got their kids there and they're all, you know, pushing them in the strollers and I'm walking by them, excuse me, compromiso, you know, polite. Mm -hmm. And then just thinking, you know, the guy nods at me, but what are we? We're just like hairless monkeys. We're just like monkeys with a little hair on our head, walking around, pretending we're civilized, ha, 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 ha living in society, all human construct, it's all made. But if things had to change, he would catch me and put me in a pot to feed his family if they had to survive. And would I do the same? It just scared the hell out of me. And I'll tell you something, just suddenly I no longer wanted to explore. Suddenly my mind actually just wanted, so then I started obsessing on mathematics. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. That day? Right in that moment that I just, I caught a shock and I just, my head started well, like, you know, the universe, what is it? Where does it go? Uh, it's infinitely large. Right. Well, in a Cartesian plane, if if there's no edge, that means everywhere is the center. So everywhere is the center, well, then the coordinate zero, zero is the same as, as one, one, and four, four, and whatever. It's like, so, so actually there's no numbers. It doesn't mean anything. It's all abstract. It was like, oh, I'm telling all my friends this. And like, so they started coming down into a coffee shop. I was still rambling on about how everything equals everything else, how there's no duality, everything's one, blah, 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 like totally abstract, mad, crazy, didn't come down from that. Um, so uh, I'll hop, skip, and a jump without going into too many details, but I was taken into the student uh, psychiatric services. Um, I remember I was rambling. This was right during the Gulf War, mm -hmm. uh, first Gulf War. I and I started to get very paranoid. I mean, I read a lot of Stephen King as a child. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know what's happened. They've released a virus. That's why I'm nuts. Something's in my brain now, and my body's sensitive to it. And we're all getting sick. We're all going to die. Did you ever do mushrooms after that? Sure. I did it again. So you had a psychotic break. You had a psychotic break the first time, and you still... Well, after that, um, my family had to pull me out of school. I went to two psychiatrists. Sat on a couch. At 18. 18. Sat on a couch three days a week and talked to the psychiatrist. Went home, sat on a couch, slept my life away, over medicated. Oh, they were medicating you. Oh, I had to be. I was psychotic. So they oh, put, you were. They put you me mean on. after that occurrence? Yeah. You I didn't stabilize. You continued to be psychotic? Well, it kind of. Were you mad a little bit? Um, just really. Uh, Frazzled, everything disturbed me. The, the Gulf War is happening. There was some student activism against our government. I became convinced they were going to draft us, send us off. I remember those times. They were going to. They were experimenting on us. All my head started trying to manufacturing fantasies about what was happening. Got very paranoid and frightened. Couldn't understand what was happening. So um, they medicated medicated me um, maximum dosage of antipsychotics. And uh, I sat on my parents' couch drooling, wishing I was dead. Interesting. So when you were seeing the psychiatrist and they were medicating you, did you stay medicated for a long time? Um, yeah, I was medicated on the maximum dose for about three months, four months. Okay. And they started lowering the dose. 
and that was for psychosis. Yes. Okay. There were psychosis medications. Yes, an antipsychotic. What, uh, and were you still, major tranquilizer? And were you still experimenting with any substances? No, I couldn't get off the couch. I was lost. How long did you say this lasted for? Psychosis. Yeah, and being medicated. Oh, I was medicated from the psychosis. Uh, that was about January, um, all the way through till. Yeah, uh, September, October. So about eight months, seven. Yes, six, eight months. Seven, eight they started months. lowering the dose. Okay, so they lowered the dose, and then you found some normalcy in your thought process afterwards. No, I I did not do well on medication. Okay, but you got off the meds. Well, I just stopped taking them, and I went back to smoking marijuana. Okay, and the this is now this all sounds all too familiar for me. Not because I, it ever happened to me. I never have had to take medications for any type of mental health, but mm -hmm. I work obviously in the field and right. I see a lot of people that have been diagnosed with psychosis, depending on drug induced or just a natural psychosis that they have. And sometimes they will resort to smoking weed because it relieves them much more than the medications that they take, let alone some of the medications that they take, make them gain a bunch of weight and things like that. So I gained weight. Yeah. I lost all sexual interests. Mm -hmm. I was so medicated. I think I had a um, a three second memory. Wow! I couldn't remember what had just happened through, so I couldn't That's have a conversation. A, I could say five surprising words for knowing a guy like you. Like when I talk too much, but I like so, like I would start saying something to someone and forget what I was saying. Mm -hmm. It would be a pointless call, and then I'd feel stupid. And I actually felt like stunned all the time. Stunned. Okay, so. Moving on, you went back to marijuana between 18 and 22. Why did you end up going to rehab at 22? Right. So I went back to marijuana, and then the marijuana use uh, intensified. Um, I started selling it. I started doing a lot of ecstasy at parties. Mm -hmm. Great, great, great period of my I remember that era. party career. I remember that era. Yeah, I don't remember you. So. We were, both, we were both probably hung out a lot. I'm sure we were in the same circles. We that's might why, have been the that's same That's why when circle. I first met you, you looked really familiar. No, probably not. Well, we're the same age, and we were both in L.A. L.A.'s big. L.A.'s big, I, but if we were doing that. Did you go to Flammable Liquids? Of course Doc I did. Martin? Yes, okay. I did. Yeah. So, yeah, you and I. We did. In a group of maybe 40 people in a club. You never know. Dancing till 11 a.m. That's right. Right? So that's what we were doing all that's the time. That's what we were doing. That was all of the 90s. Underground room. parties. Yeah. And me smoking. Um, we used to call it bud. I don't like the term weed. We used to smoke bud, bud. and and drop X, not E. We used to drop X we and smoke bud. X, yeah. And it was pure ecstasy. We had a really nice party. It was a exclusive crowd that really understood it. It wasn't commercialized. There wasn't all the douchebag drinkers showing up there. It was yeah. super underground. Yeah, it was underground. It had a good vibe. There was yeah. interesting people. There were good music. Mm -hmm. um, Great, great, great experiences. I took mushroom again that year, mm -hmm. and I went minorly psychotic and suicidal, but I turned it around, and I just felt like I'm invincible. Everything is good now. It's just I must have had that bad one trip. And then that year, um, I uh, uh, decided I was going to try LSD, and I took my first LSD at the age of 19, mm -hmm. and the LA riots broke out within half an hour, and I went psychotic again. I was convinced 
there's going to be race wars. It's the end of civilization. This is what I've been foreseeing. That's why now it's happening. Now it's happening. And now I'm like really frightened, right? All this human construct that I mentioned that's keeping us safe, it's starting to unravel and we're not going to hold it together. And, and here's the little old me. You know, I'd studied evolution in high school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, survival of the fittest, I am not fit enough to deal with it. It freaked me out. It freaked me out. So I, I went psychotic at 19 on LSD. Okay. Um, again, I got pulled out of school, over-medicated, sit at home. Uh, this time, they lowered the dose. I went back to school, and I just started smoking weed again and stopped taking medication. Just decided no more hallucinogens. So now I was uh, smoking marijuana. I was in my parents' house. They caught wind of it. They went to an uh, interventionist. They weren't happy about it. Oh, no, they'd had enough. They saw it as a disciplinary problem. Right. Kids out of control, doesn't want to do the right stuff in life. We're going to treat it as such. So the intervention had said, yeah, you force him into treatment or you kick him out on the streets. Said, Whatever it takes. Oh, yeah, sure, do that. So they came to me um, and tried to strong arm me into treatment. And I said, or what? And they said, well, then go. And I said, well, this is an easy decision. Did you go? Or did you go to? I went to the streets. You went to the streets. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, I went to the streets. Okay, so from nineteen to twenty-two streets. Uh, I went to the streets for two months. Oh. Uh, I got very skinny. I was not good. It didn't work out. I kept trying and trying. Couldn't land a job. Couldn't figure my way forward. Mm -hmm. And then I just said, you know what? I'll play the game. I'll go to treatment. I got tricked. I thought they said go for a few weeks. I went up in a year-long residential treatment center. A year long. Yeah, you wow. remember back in the days. Yeah, Pico, Pico Robertson area. Long program. Year-long residential, sitting on couches all day, talking, behavior modification, cognitive behavioral therapy. How do you feel? And how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about that? And at the end of that, I knew all about why I feel about what. And it didn't really matter. No matter what I was feeling, I was always just like, I can't wait until I get out of here and get high. And I got out and I got high. And everything was good. I went back to school. But what happened at the end of that was um, – yeah, I just stopped working. It stopped working. And I just what stopped working? The weed? The weed, yeah. Just not funny. So you were homeless smoking weed? No, I got out of rehab and my family put me back oh. in school. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were homeless and you ended up going to treatment. When I got out, I went back to school. Okay. I said no more hallucinogens. I'm not messing around now. Right. And I have to watch my money. Mm -hmm. What happened at 22? Why why then? Why did why did you go to was it was that the time? Because you no, said I went, to, I went to treatment at twenty one uh -huh. for a year uh -huh. and finished. Uh, I think when I was just turned twenty two, I went back to school and I said, "That's it. I need to be really careful." So you took sobriety seriously from there on? No, I wasn't sober. I, I finished rehab and I went right back to smoking butt. Okay, Hence, but yeah, you got sober at twenty two, right? So it was about eight months out. Okay, where I'm now smoking nonstop. Mm -hmm. It just had a different quality to it. It wasn't fun anymore. I was scared. I said, I'm going to go back to the streets. I have to do everything I can not to go back to the streets. Got to get so it. So you kind of just had job. this revelation? Got to study. I, I started to fall behind in school, and I started to panic. And I don't know what's happening. I don't know when my exams are. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking my exams are next week, and I'm not prepared. I started to get anxious. Smoking bud, getting anxious, not sure. I started to question all the people around me. You're not my friends. I said, everyone, laugh, I'm your friends. The minute I run out of drugs and money, you throw me out. I remember when I was on the streets, none of you opened your door to me. Right. 
This is all nonsense. Like, what is this? And I even know because I've been sober before. So because I've been sober before, I know I'm having a trick in my brain. It's fun, but being high is not the reality. The reality is being sober. So maybe during that time that you went to treatment before and you got to take a break for a while, yeah. you had a realization later that there is a possibility to live without substances. Now I'm doing it again, and everything I learn in there, I'm I'm realizing like why this isn't working for me. I didn't like being sober in rehab. No, no, I'm it not was saying horrible. I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I just became aware there's two states of being. Sure. And I suddenly realized that life isn't about your immediate experience of what it's like. Uh-huh. I said, I'm having Well, obviously you didn't like being sober there, or else you wouldn't have you would have stayed sober. Oh, it was horrible. It was a nightmare. Right. It was like chewing glass. But but like you're saying right now, is later on, after when you said it wasn't working for you anymore. It's like I was getting out. high, but I said this is a trick of the brain. Okay. I know what's really underneath. So you had a realization that this isn't what you wanted anymore. It wasn't that. I just it just wasn't working. It wasn't fun. Well, if it wasn't working, you don't want it. Well, I wanted. You, you obviously got no, to a point where you made a decision. No, where you my don't brain want it. told me if I kind of get on top of my stuff mm. and get work and money, I can go back to being a full time partier. But not right now because I'm going to go back to the streets. This isn't real. I don't. I need to get but suddenly it was like I need to get on top of things. Okay. And I so can't be stoned all the time. Yeah. I can't be stoned all the time. Right, right. I need to actually, you know, get my stuff together. So a realization happened and a decision was made. No, the decision made was I'm gonna control and enjoy my marijuana smoking. Friday and Saturday nights. I gave myself a healthy limit and I said I'm gonna study, but mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Friday came around. I smoked the whole weekend through, and then I suddenly had a realization I don't have control over this this thing. I always thought I had control over everything. I realized it's got control over me. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I tried to put on the brakes, and I couldn't. And then I realized the thing they talked about in rehab where something's more strong than you, that's what I have. There's something about this substance that is not good for me, and I have to stop. And, and so then you made the decision. Yes. And how? And I lived happily ever after. And you were 22 then. Right. And you... Completed school successfully? No, I went psychotic the day after I stopped smoking. Okay, because you were dependent upon it and you didn't have it? You didn't know how to process your, your thought process? I My brain doesn't like being sober. And I just have a break. I mean, psychiatrists have postulated that maybe I have such acute depression. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Buzz. I have such acute depression that I go psychotic, maybe. There's something about the way I experience reality. So I asked you a dollar. Okay, so then... Um, so I, went, I got sober in the mental hospital on my campus. That's what you did. That's, that's why you got sober. That's what I did. Mental. They had a mental hospital on your campus. That's right. Interesting. Okay, so the, what happened when you decided, okay, now I'm going to stay sober? Like, Did that happen within a period of time? Was it a progressive... The, uh, the second that I realized yes. I've got a monkey on my back and it's going to take me down, I threw it off and I never went back. I was at 22. I went to the hospital. I didn't know I was an addict. They medicated me again. It was all horrible. That's when I started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's where I learned about spirituality. And that's where everything started changing. Why did you want to call today's episode... Marijuana and mysticism. So 
So I've been a, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous now for 27 years. And we have a 12-step program, as you know. Mm-hmm. And the 12-step program, if you want to skip to the end of the book, um, is based on a spiritual awakening. Sure. And I suddenly became aware that I was probably smoking marijuana for spiritual reasons. And now I'm very much into spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I also see the reason I was smoking marijuana was because I was really seeking a mystical experience. Okay. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Now you see. Okay. So <laughs> the dog is going crazy today. I think the dog's having a mystical experience. Um, all right. So all these years now, you've been taking this serious, and, and uh, you're definitely in a, in a better place in your life. Obviously, you've expanded and done so much more. Sometimes when I talk to you, you speak about um, mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you speak about uh, different schools of thought. Uh, what are you doing with your life now? What, what, what is it that's, that, that you find special within what you're doing? So um, I've always wanted to be consequential. I've always wanted to do something that impacts the world for the better. Um, as I just recounted my experience with the tiger, mm-hmm. I felt in danger. And I've always felt that the root of all the world's problems is economic. Mm-hmm. And people are worried about their lives, their safety, their well-being. As long as people have their needs met and they're secure, you can be civilized. So I decided at some point in my sobriety to pursue a career in public service. Mm-hmm. So uh, hence, um, you know, wearing sunglasses and a hat because I don't want, you know, if I'm going to be doing anything to, to affect you. Well, and you know what? And that's actually a personal choice. Um, I think in my day-to-day affairs, I'm pretty open about my addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. But at this stage, when somebody I just texted me right now and says, "What's up with his sunglasses?" You you just you just explained it. Well, you know, like uh, as you know, today in the world of online job searching, they're going to drop your name into Google. So uh, I, I didn't want them possibly to see. Oh well, here's the guy. Now I'm being so candid and open sure. publicly, you know, about my mental health history, which right. I mean, I'm not ashamed of. I can put it in context, mm-hmm. but some people might be prejudiced. In the circles I'm going into, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to be careful of my more career. Private. So I've, not... I, I, yeah, I've finished a master's degree, and I'm trying to get established in a new field that's very challenging right now. Okay, right. so so sometimes, like before we ever even scheduled this, you would sometimes send me lists of different things that we could talk about. Yeah, we can talk. So about. there's a few things that I want to go over now. Sure. So, so obviously, we're in a whole different era now. Uh, let's say Alcoholics Anonymous. It was created what in the 30s, 1930s, right? right? Um, it was a very young program that was already saving lives as it progressed within a couple of years. It was working from was, the start. It was working from the start. There was two founders, right? They were alcoholic. They That's also right. did sedatives. Like they weren't doing sedatives like they were doing alcohol, but they did sedatives to like relieve themselves when it came to benders and things like that. Or doctor prescribers sometimes, maybe even not doctor prescribers. Who knows? Regardless of the fact, now we are in – a whole different century. Yes. We are experiencing a lot of youngsters that we see are getting sober or 
some of their families are pushing them to get sober. Some of them themselves are realizing their lives aren't working out for them. Some of them have various addictions. Some of them just have alcoholism. Some of them have addiction. Some of them love fentanyl. Some of them are being sent to AA meetings. Some of them are not alcoholics that are being sent to AA meetings. You and I are both part of a group where they don't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're an addict or an alcoholic. Truth of the matter is there's literature. There's uh, steps to be taken. So we see a lot of people getting well in that particular program. It's a 12-step program that's the, the grandfather of all the other 12-step programs. Um, I, I love what you brought up about, you know, having the spiritual awakening. I believe that uh, you and I have had some conversations, probably better to have more and more conversations because I love when I have like-minded conversations with friends that have studied things where they've built up their own school of thought and where I've studied my things. And we come together and we, we share ideas and things like that. Um, when we talk about mysticism, this is a very uh, touching subject for me. I, I love mysticism. I love Rumi. I love uh, I love to tap into love, into the heart, into the con consciousness. It's much more deeper than uh, that surface level living that a lot of people live, or even when we were not well, right Be beneath the surface. That the underbelly of the beast, if you will, uh, type of living. So, um, as far as now, what do you think about uh, the many people that come? in the recovery and the struggles that they have. Obviously, I'm sure you've met some people that have probably been youngsters that remind you of yourself that have done the experimentation with hallucinogens. Some of them might be permanently shot out. Some of them might uh, actually still talk about it in a way to where um, it's not a bad thing. I personally, a couple of years ago, wrote on my Facebook, what was your uh, personal experience with LST and explain, describe. And to my surprise, I thought like people were going to come and say like, don't do acid, right? But majority of people, even in recovery, a lot of them, even in recovery, said they had some of the most outrageous, uh, extravagant mind warp experiences when doing LSD, right? And personally, like I know I, I did LSD to escape. I did mushrooms to go on journeys, right? Uh, psilocybin. I know these days they're prescribing this stuff um, to people with certain mental health deficiencies uh, in, in microdoses, right? Uh, same with ketamine. There's ketamine therapy. There's there's LSD therapy. There's um, you know there's uh, mushroom therapy. Uh, thoughts, like t t tell me thoughts. We should. You know what? We should. Put you in a podcast, man. Uh, <laughs> you're in a podcast. Listen to this thoughts, guy. Go. Thoughts, no, thoughts, like, opinions. Thoughts. Wow. So firstly, I just want to say um, there is a distinction between a sober alcoholic and addict and a loaded alcoholic and addict. Um, I'm not really of the frame of mind that the different substance that you preferred or tried or hit bottom on uh where it was taking you is really that relevant to recovery okay now you could argue you know and i've heard uh addiction specialist experts um dr mate for example gabor mate yeah so you know uh yeah when you feel down you want to go up you take cocaine right right if you're in pain you know you, you need to 
to, to soothe yourself. So you take heroin and morphine, opiates, you right. know? And uh, what do you say when, 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 when you're too excitable and stressed, mm -hmm. you drink because it's a depressant and it makes your central nervous system calm down. You, know, mm -hmm. you can argue that people are seeking relief from a something, which is why they have a preference. I mean, what's my preference? Maybe this is boring for me and doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. What the world presents to me as such. What I see people living for, I'm like, that. that isn't for me. I don't know what's for me. So maybe I smoke marijuana and take hallucinogens and have ecstasy because I like adventures because I find meaning in these things. Mm -hmm. Something that feels meaningful. I'm, I'm sense-making and it's exciting. And so whatever it is, the one common factor among all alcoholics or addicts is that we don't want to be sober. You see, for me, what it means to be an alcoholic addict, mm -hmm. and this is different from the, the, the substance abuser, substance dependent person who's a non-alcoholic or an addict. And again, this is just theory. And, you know, like addiction is one of those hard things to define because you don't, you can't do double blind. You can't replicate and say, here's a person as an addict and not, but the same person. And what's the difference? So we're all different and have different behavior patterns. But I, I think the, 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 the non-alcoholic addict who becomes substance dependent physically and emotionally, who's a substance abuser, takes them beyond what is conventionally considered acceptable recreational to the point that they're damaging themselves in some way physically, their work. The, the big difference is that the non-alcoholic or an addict recognizes the stuff's not good for me. I need to slow down or stop. And they reprioritize the alcoholic or an addict is so transfixed. They're addicted. They're hooked. They're married to the substance. And the reason why is because to be an alcoholic or an addict, what that means to me is that being sober is not a natural state of mind to us. We just don't feel right sober. Right. It's every alcoholic or an addict. We're actually seeking relief from being sober. The problem is sobriety, Pesh. I bet you didn't know you call here to talk about sobriety. That's the problem is being sober. Mm -hmm. Being sober is not the answer. The answer is a spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. in my opinion, because that's the only thing I ever found that really works. Right. So do you believe every human being has mystical qualities or is a mystic at their inner that's core? That's such a great question. That's such a great question. Do you believe that? I mean, do you think if there is a God, which I think we both believe, that God would only specifically give a chosen amount of humans the ability to be able to tap, tap into their mystical being? Now, now we're bringing philosophy into the conversation, bring it, right? Bring philosophy it. of religion, right? Right. So the difference between... Not necessarily philosophy of religion. Well, because, you know, there's a philosophy of science, which is about you know, epistemology and how do we know what we know right. and em em empiricism, the stuff we do know, how do we quantify it and study it? That's the right. scientific method. Right. But religion is, 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 is like I said, about uh, the non-material plane. It's about ideas of how that works. It's all based on assumptions. Right. So assuming there is a deity that has constructed us for a reason and purpose, and that's a whole other conversation, sure. which is actually 
at, at, at the, at the, the source and, and the main point of mysticism is to experience that deity, that oneness, that con connection. So we, we'll come back to that. But like, if there is a deity, why would that deity... So this is how philosophy of religion makes. We don't know if there's a God. But assuming there is a God, then like, would the world be more like this or like that? Or what's it for in this and that? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to feel around in the dark. What's this? It feels like a God. Maybe it's there. Right. Maybe we're not supposed to know it directly. We're supposed to intuit and and experience it and then know it's real okay so the reason i asked the question like Are, this yeah go ahead one of the reasons i asked right. something like this is right i see a lot of human suffering yes there is and it's people suffer in many different ways yes you have right. the depressive types you right. have the anxiety ridden types right you have people that feel that they need to inject things into their lips or wear long fake eyelashes to be able to right. cosmetically be more attractive to get what have to, a car to be filled up to, to have be, a fancy car sure, to be to drop the labels yes their educational yeah. things there's people who are trying to be acceptable so people are always trying to fill themselves selves up that's right and, and what i wonder and yes and i don't actually i don't doubt it i believe that god gives and i believe in god now i didn't believe in god before or right. at least i pretended me like, neither i pretended like i didn't believe in god right okay because I wanted to be the intellectual. I wanted to to brainstorm and always come up with these wordy conversations. It's scary you know? to be in touch with your own limitations. It sure is. But as soon as you say there's God, it suddenly means I'm finite and there's something bigger. Right. It's much easier to think, oh, it's limitless. I can figure it out myself. I can be a God. Right, right. It's also an obsession with a lot of religious people as well. Absolutely. How to be a God. So I so I do believe right. that all humans have the ability to distinguish between their ego and their soul. I've I've had these conversations. That's an interesting topic. I've had these actually. conversations with many of the people that I work with in recovery. Right. I'm talking like right. the houses I Why run. Why don't we do a study? Why don't we Absolutely. do a study? But 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 I always what baffles me what what is amazing to me is right example a kid's a, a fentanyl addict. Right. This is a newer drug. On the, I mean, it's been around since the 60s, but right. it's, it's the, there's a new craze. So right. a kid, uh, because so-and-so went to their grandma's medicine cabinet and they tried some Percocets but couldn't get any more, they went into getting heroin. And over a period of time, they didn't realize that their heroin is laced with fentanyl or they found some plug who actually sells straight fentanyl and then they become a fentanyl addict and all of a sudden they become captivated by this one substance to the point where uh, they keep going after that, knowing damn well that a lot of their friends are croaking and dying and passing away because of this, but they're so drawn into it that even after overdosing themselves or being hospitalized, they still seek that. And so does God give that person the ability Great question. to distinguish Great between question. their ego-based decisions or their soul-based decisions? So, I mean, we actually have to come down to that one singular question mm -hmm. that would help us, you know, like I was thinking everything you do in life, you need to take a frame of reference. So here's my frame of reference, which is what's this really all about for us? This? Everything. What's all it all about for a human being? Right. What's it about? And I believe what it's about is finding meaning. Meaning? Yeah, that you got to say, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm on the planet. Right. And if there is a God, I think God didn't, assuming there is a God, I don't think a God would have created people for no purpose sure. or life or this and, and that. So, so you, you need to, so 
what I was onto mm-hmm. before I ever picked up my first drink and drug mm-hmm. was I'm trying to figure out what this is. This is a very confusing thing to me. All you people, you know, keep your noses down and right. go, and then you flash the what was all those things you said? Uh, uh, my, my lips, my makeup, sure. my fancy car, my job. All the cosmetics. Like, and I'm just kind of like, well, and so what? I was like, and so what? And so what's that for? And what's that for? And so I think people are trying to um, find a sense of meaning and purpose that makes, you know, that makes sense for them of why they're here on the planet. Sure. So the question is, if assuming there is a God, would God create people who are not meant to find real higher meaning could people be fulfilled could people find meaning without ever experiencing spirituality or god in just the material world is that what you're asking because yeah yeah, so look yeah i don't know why don't you do a study and find out how many people are fulfilled with the pure material existence Mm -hmm. so i don't know pej maybe some people i mean you know i I do believe i have a uh spiritual teacher not an aa or anything like that just yeah. a spiritual teacher who um who actually when i asked him a very similar question said right. that god gives everybody different abilities in life and maybe different callings different different callings different abilities different opportunities right and sometimes you know obviously in aa they say like some right. of us have to die so the rest of us can live but like right right reality is is i believe that every human being gets the opportunity gets a message from a messenger or messengers right to do the right thing over the wrong thing clearly that clearly every human being guiding you clearly every human being is aware that there's a right and a wrong way and they find their own way too many people give too much power to the ego and, yeah, and but maybe their ego works and directs them on the right way. Maybe their ego says, I'm going to choose this way. And God's like, good, that was the right path for you. That's possible. I don't know. Yeah. Is every person supposed to know God? I'll tell you this. There's some people that if they don't know God or life or what they're doing here, it drives them crazy. And I think those people are called alcoholics. And they drink. Yeah. Why? It's not for, you know, alcohol is not about the bottle. Or the flavor. It's about the alcohol in the bottle. The and alcohol is not about the alcohol. It's about the effect that's in it. It's about mm-hmm. the spirit that's in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And alcoholics seek a spiritual experience. Sure. We want to shift our consciousness and suddenly feel like we're in our place. Right. I don't know. Can a non-alcoholic feel in place without spirituality, just off their job or their family? I, I don't know. I'm not one of those people. Sure. Yeah. I guess I also ask it too because I see so many people continue to suffer from depression oh, yeah. and from anxiety and and I, I, I can speak on it because I have experience with it. I'm allowed to, right? I was a depressive fool. I was anxiety ridden. I was always 10 steps ahead or always stuck in the past and I was totally shortchanging myself with this present moment. But the one thing within the present moment that needed for me that I needed to develop with was the relationship with something greater than myself to be able to know that the moment is the most precious thing that I have. And that's so let me ask you, say that wasn't there for you. Sure. Say you had no concept of spirituality or God. You were a material being. You woke up, oh, how's my body feeling today? Tweet, 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 the birds. Yeah. Oh, look, there's my dog. There's my family. Here's yes. my job. And you go and you have a perfect day. 
at work, with all the people you mix in, sitting with yourself, you go to bed at night. If you did that every day of your life, would you be happy and fulfilled? I think there's a lot of people that do that. Well, I don't know. That's the question. I think there's a lot of people that live that type of life. And you know what? Maybe if there is a God, that person succeeded in their mission. Maybe they had a different mission. They had an earthly thing Absolutely. to do. I mean, I'll say possible. This, and I'll say this. I know, I know atheists that are completely convinced there's no such thing as God that are of maximum service to humanity. But, you know, then, then the question is, like, assuming there is a God, yeah. is that person acceptable and did the right thing? Assuming there's an afterlife, would it be like, tick, good mission, whatever? Right. I mean, maybe that person had a different test and challenge. They had an earthly duty. They were there to help something to happen in the world of the world. Sure. I mean, this, right. is, this is what I've learned. If there in, is. In the, in right. the short 50-some-odd years that I've been, 50, right. almost 51 years right. that I've been alive, not just through AA or through studying mysticism, but just observing, learning, watching the greatest spiritual beings that have graced this earth. The reason that they stand out and did things, not for recognition, not for validation, is because they were in constant service of others. Well, so you could then, on the flip side, say, well, maybe that's what it's really about. Just being good to other people. But, you know, I subsume it all into one thing. Right. So there's there's goodliness and there's also godliness. Right. So I think if you're a godly person that has no goodliness, I believe you failed. You have to have goodliness. But what if you're a goodly person but not a godly person? Mm -hmm. That's the question. So I also believe, forgive me, I believe you've also failed. But maybe that's just. Maybe you haven't. Unless, who am yeah. I to know? Who am yeah. I to say? Maybe, failures, maybe you were supposed to be a maybe good Maybe failure is actually not real. Maybe it's actually just the same. Well, maybe. that's one thing. Or, but I, I, really, but I, I believe there is a success and a failure in life. Mm -hmm. And you could say, oh, well, goodly was good enough. Right. Yeah, but like you didn't get to know the bigger picture and what you were here for mm. and why you were sent to the planet. So it's about purpose and, and finding meaning. I think that's really what it comes that's, down to. When it comes to mysticism, I believe that truly is. When you find your purpose and you have a meaningful life, you are tapped into your own mystical being. Mysticism, to me, is about experiencing divinity in all things. All things. And me specifically, I believe that divinity is, is in the creator, the all-powerful deity. I use the word God for lack of a better word. Yes. Assuming there is a God, we've been given a human brain, so the human brain can't fully comprehend the divine. It's only as much as we're supposed to see it. But I know this, assuming there is a God, I was born. Mm -hmm. Assuming there's no God, I want to say this, then it doesn't really, nothing makes sense really yes. to me. Assuming there is a God, I was created and came here for a reason. And when I leave, I'll find out why. So, like, the thing is, the people who don't, have that mysticism that aren't experiencing that divinity in all things well they're going through the motions maybe they're doing it in their own way maybe they're not conscious of it sure i don't know maybe on some you level they're unfulfilled perfect. maybe they're unfulfilled on some level that's why i think i vibe with you is because you just explained it perfectly to be able to see divinity in all things well, but you know, it, it doesn't mean if you don't, you're not a mystic. The mystic is yeah. seeking. The mystic is yeah. seeking that. I'm not, and I'm not trying to say like I'm the mystic, and others just haven't gotten to that point. I guess what frustrates me, which I, is out of my hands, 
is to see people continue to suffer. Yes. Because of this. Yes. When it's a short distance away from this. From here to here, I, I would just, and I try to tell them what my experience is rather than what their experience needs to be. Right. I try to tell them what my experience is. And I hope that they can tap into that too, so that they will be more comfortable in their skin, be more content with what they have going on in their lives and, and not suffer. And because it, it's Maybe sad. the suffering is part of it. Sometimes. I don't know what you know about William James, but a precursor of the A literature. Yes. You want to talk about suffering? Try reading varieties of religious I, I have it actually. I have the book, and it's a hard read. Yeah. It's a very hard. I studied read. it for two years, meditating on every word, phrase, sentence, paragraph. Yeah. Two years, you want suffering. It's a hard read. Well, William James actually says the precursor to a spiritual experience is melancholy. Okay. You need to go through a darkness and a, de a death of an, a, a self. So to tell people, just close the gap no, of the head to no, the heart yeah, you're and right. you've arrived. You're no. Right. You're right. Sometimes, you know, some of us suffer more and more and whatever. It's like we don't know what and why. Right. The point is, though, are you advancing and growing and heading towards meaning? Mm -hmm. I think. Right. Who knows? Maybe I've just made that up as a drug for me. Something, you know, the Buddhists will say, you know, and the Christians like... You know, except Jesus in your heart, the Buddhists will say you can have enlightenment now. <laughs> Let go. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, like you know, maybe as a process addiction, I've invented this whole long drawn out thing, like the Hindus a billion lifetimes. Mm -hmm. You know, before I get enlightened, uh, maybe I create suffering in order to overcome it to give myself something to do as relief. It's also entirely possible, but I know I'm just doing my best and. Uh, and 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 struggling with the burdens of life, like everyone, I've got my own burdens, psychic burdens. By psychic, I mean of the psyche, of the right. soul. You know, so I'm constantly moving and growing, and have so many areas. But hey, you know, so it makes life interesting. Absolutely. What if I came here and I was just fulfilled? And I'd say, you know, I don't know. The, th the thing is, um, I saw in a movie, The Thief of Baghdad. I was one of my childhood favorites, and um. The hero had had an adventure with the sidekick and they completed their mission. They were successful and the sidekick was sitting in the oasis being fed the grapes, fanned, you know, by, by the feather, by, you know, beautiful woman. And uh, the hero had come back. We've got a bigger mission now. This is serious. Like, this is really serious now. And the guy's like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy where I'm at. And, and the hero said to him, when pleasure remains does it remain the same? And he just realized it's getting boring. Right. It's just like, I'm happy, but it's like, life is not about uh, happiness. Life is about fulfillment. He's like, yeah, it's just like, just getting my pleasures met. It's just the same thing all the time. Right. So, you know, I, I really believe we have to have some sort of meaning and fulfillment. What's that looks thinking? like. It's, of course. Of course. That's a good thing to add on. I mean, truly, that's that's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. It's the search. I, I appreciate you coming on. The, Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Good Because I, I knew it was going to get deep. Like, Is it going to get deep? No, it already got deep. I knew what, what it was wasn't so deep. exciting and, uh, and and fun. It was heavy, man. It was uh, heavy. We needed it was it. heavy. We had a great conversation today. Good, good to have a heavy conversation about drugs, alcohol, mysticism, and recovery. Awesome. Awesome. If, Thank you all for tuning in. Next uh, week, we have a very special guest of mine. We'll, we'll be back on Wednesday, uh, noon next Wednesday, 
Um, and thank you all for coming to the corner. Love you all. Bye. Thanks for having me.